Hey, are you here? Now some of you are here. Some of you are there. Some of you are in undisclosed locations. Some of you can't escape. But it's time we got on with this introduction. Why, it's an introduction of the Paul Leslie Hour. Now this interview with Steve Lukather of Toto comes from our archive. That means the Wayback Machine. In this interview, the legendary Steve Lukather joins your host, Paul Edward Leslie, to talk about his solo album, All's Well That Ends Well, among other things. Hey, doesn't All's Well That Ends Well come from some famous literary work? Hmm. Well, one thing we know is this. We appreciate every like, every share, every comment. But one big deal is every contribution. Thank you. Just go to www.thepaulesley.com slash support. You can give yourself blue in the face. Hmm, that sounds like something from another famous literary work. And you can give others the gift of stories. And we thank you. Well, you're going to love this interview with Lukather. We did. Hopefully next time we catch up with him, it'll be face-to-face. What else? Well, let's start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our extreme pleasure to welcome the one and only Steve Lukather. How's it going? (laughs) It's going great, man. I'm just up having coffee, getting my, uh, you know, doing my morning stuff that I always do. I'm feeling good. That's good. It reminds me of the first time we did an interview. I said, I had this big elaborate introduction for you about all your accomplishments, and you said, I'm just sitting here having a cup of coffee scratching my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty much what's going on right now. <laughs> Who is Steve Lukather? I don't know, man. He's a much different guy than he used to be, but I don't know, man. You know, I'm inside my own skin. You can't ask me that. It's a work in progress. That's who I am. Let's go back kind of a few years. What was life like in the Lukather household growing up? Mom and dad, you mean? Yeah, like, what was the household like? My dad was on the road a lot. Uh, He was uh, behind the camera uh, in the movie business and television. So he'd go on, you know, do films for three months at a time. My mom was was great. She was very supportive of what I did. And she, uh, I had a happy household. My sister was great. You know, I mean, I just played my music and uh, BS'd my way through school. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, it it was a happy household, you know. Tell us about your father buying you Meet the Beatles, the album. Well, in all fairness, it was both my parents. It was a, my my present for my seventh birthday. I got a guitar and a copy of Meet the Beatles, which, you know, forever has changed my life. And, uh, you know, I still it's funny. I still I got a CD version of it and put it in my car. I got to tell you, these old records sound better on vinyl. They were <laughs> never meant to be on CDs. You hear all the little weird flaws, edits and punches and stuff like that. There was a warmth to the vinyl and the way it was mixed for that. I mean, it, but those are fondest, my fondest childhood memories. I mean, that was the on switch to my whole life. I never thought later in life, you know, all those years, all those years later, I'd work with Paul McCartney and, and hang with George Harrison and stuff like that. If you'd have told me that when I was a kid, I would have screamed, you know, but um, life has a way of giving you the unobvious, that's for sure. Well, that's the truth. You seem to have been influenced by blues rock guitar players as well as the jazz guitarists like. Larry Carlton. Could you say you prefer one style? I am enamored by 
every style when it comes to virtuosity. You know, what I mean, I'm inspired by greatness, and there's a lot of it out there. You know, there's there's people that just make me laugh. I mean, from bluegrass to classical musicians to metal guys to the shredders to the to beboppers. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of all of it. And I think it's important. I, I've always kept a really open mind about all that stuff. I like a good pop song as much as anybody. You know what I mean? But where do I lie? I don't. I think I fall in the cracks everywhere because I can. Like yesterday, I was doing an Americana record with Rodney Crowell and all these really cool guys and solos and vocals and everything was live, no click tracks. Then I can go to the most technical sessions where it's all about the Pro Tools and, and editing and all this other stuff. So. I just, I kind of just feel comfortable everywhere. I'm, I'm lucky. After 35 years in, I can kind of morph myself into whatever needs to be done that day and enjoy the hell of it. Could you pick one biggest guitar influence? Is that possible? Well, George Harrison was my first guitar hero, and then he was a friend. I mean, it all started there, but then you got to, I mean, there's so many incredible players. I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, Hendrix, Jeff Beck, you know, Clapton, Page, that was the first, you know, all those guys were started all the wow guitar you know what i mean and then uh, we go on you know from that moment forward to all the great virtuosos up till now and all the styles and i've studied all of them or as many of them as i can get my hands on i mean i would say i if you put all that in a blender and turned it on that's me wow we're talking with steve lugather is anything going on in the toto world right now yeah, actually, we're getting ready to go on the road. Mike Picaro has ALS, which is a debilitating disease, and he's paralyzed in the bed. And there's no happy ending to that one, man. It's another brother of down, man. It's, you know, my friend since I was 15 years old. You know, those guys are like a second family to me, the Picaro. David Page came to me and said, we, we had broken up. You know, I, I was done with it because it just think it ran its course. And that was about four or five years ago. And then all of a sudden, David called me and said, we should do something. And to help Mike, because as a bass player, he didn't write a lot of the songs. And, you know, the Internet kind of stole a lot of our mailbox money away. So we we said, OK, I'll go out. But I want Steve Bacaro back. And I want Joseph Williams to sing because he was a high school friend. People don't really realize that. And he has an incredible voice. His voice is still strong, really stronger than it ever was. And so uh, on that level, then we got Simon Phillips, Nathan East, a couple of background singers. And we went out and put our feet in the water last year and had a tremendous response in Europe. We were doing 30,000 people and stuff like that, freaking out. All of a sudden, there's this whole resurgence of this music. And we raised some money for Mike, and then four of us are going through, like, midlife divorce with second, you know, kids and stuff like that. So we're helping Mike and helping ourselves, and there's a big demand for this. I mean, Africa is number eight on the iTunes USA charts, which really freaked us out. That was hilarious. And we got sold-out arena tours in uh, Europe, Japan, and South America, and we may... We may do some dates. Maybe for a month or so, a year, we might get together and play some gigs. No, we're not fully reforming. It's not a, we're just having fun with it and helping out brothers, all of us and our brother Mike, mostly. you know. And so it's, as long as it's fun, great, because everybody has solo careers and or other projects, television, film. Dave's kind of semi-retired. Everybody does other stuff. So, I mean, we go out and we have fun. It's like going to summer camp with my high school brother. Do you think there will ever be, by chance, maybe another Toto album? No, I think we're done. I want to say never, never to cut another track again, but I don't think that we're going to be able, to, with the record business being what it is and the way we make records, I mean, there's no point in it. First off, when people come see us live, they really want to hear the old stuff. We've got 17 albums to choose from besides the obvious hits. So we could go out and play different album cuts forever and not really repeat ourselves. I mean, we take six months to make a record the way we like to do it, 
and there's no money in it. And and there's and as you get older, do you want to live in the recording studio? I mean, I make my solo records. I'm going to have new music for myself. Other guys do stuff on their own, but it's it's more cost effective to do that. It's hard. It's hard to explain it to you. Yeah, I don't think you know. I, I think we just that's not we're not reforming to do that. We're, we're you know we're kind of doing a live show every once in a while to play the hits and uh, remember the good old times and have a laugh. You know. Well, I got to tell you, the last studio album, Falling in Between, that opening, the leading title track, that is just okay. such an awesome cut. I think we left it with a really good record. Great reviews, sold really well. I think it's uh, we made our statement. I wanted to talk about your latest solo album. Uh huh. The title kind of. It kind of reminds me of Shakespeare. What inspired the title? It is Shakespeare. Yeah. It's my life. You know, at the time, I'm coming out of a really dark period of my life. You know, I was going through a, a divorce, a second divorce. I had a new child, which was wonderful. That was a good part. I'm done there. I got four kids. I, my mother died. We sold our childhood home. I quit drinking and smoking. I got a shrink. My shrink died last week. I mean, it's like, wow, you know. I've been through a tough lot, you know. I mean, I've had to re relook at myself, refocus, and restart my life. So I had to, I cleaned up everything that was wrong in my life, and that was been quite a journey. I was going through a lot of pain when I was writing that record, and I wrote almost all those words myself. I'm really proud of the record. It's done really, really well. Best reviews of my career, and sold sold well. My solo tour is selling, selling out, and and I'm getting feeling really confident as a player. I've reinvented myself. I'm using all organic gear. I got rid of all the racks and all the crazy stuff. I'm really motivated. I'm really healthy. You know, I, I run three miles a day. I eat well. I'm, I lost 25 pounds. I got my the gleam in my eyes back. I practice for an hour or two every morning. It's a restart of my life, and I feel great. I'm friends with my ex. I see my kids every day. There's no bad vibes, you know what I mean? I'm trying to clean up any bad vibe in my life. Tell us about that opening so, cut, Darkness in My World. Well, that's how I felt at the time. You know what I mean? I was writing a very autobiographical record. You know, if you listen to the words of it, you know, you'll, you'll feel the pain that I'm going through in real time. When I was doing that record, writing it and singing it, I was really feeling like I was being closed in. And like I said, it was a labor of love. Went through a lot to make it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of how it comes out. It's really fun to play live, too. Was it a therapeutic process for you to write these songs and to make this album? Well, I mean, I suppose so. I mean, some of it was really hard to sing. You know, Don't Say It's Over is a really hard one. You know, that was, I mean, because it was, I was writing that when I was on the road. Before it all fell apart, you know, I was just on the road and getting some agonizing phone calls. And I would just write down how I felt, and then it would go from there. You know what I mean? It seems like it's more of a lyrical album than some of your other solo albums. Are you enjoying lyric writing more? I'm getting more confident about it. You know, I'm, I'm at the age now where, ooh, baby, I love you, and let's party just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I wish I was in love, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm looking at life after 35 years on the road. I'm raising, you know, two children are already out. You know, my, my oldest is 26, and my youngest is six months. So I've kind of got a full range in there. And I'm looking at the world, how, how what's going on with that, and pretty saddened by the state of it all. I mean, you know, who do you look to for leadership at this point? You know what I mean? You got to look within, and so that's the that's the that's the journey we're all really on. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get political, but I mean, I'm I, when I sing songs about the world, it's, it's generalized because I don't. As soon as you start getting right or left, you're going to lose half your audience, and I don't want to do that. I'm not a preachy sort of guy. I can't go out on stage and pull a bono on everybody. You know, as much as I dig you too, I think sometimes it gets a bit much. It's like, okay, bud, we get it. You know. <laughs> I want to forget about that crap for two hours, you know, not, not, not 
have it thrown down my throat. But some people can get away with that. He can do that. I don't think I can do that. I just want to go out and entertain people. You know, my lyrics are my lyrics. People are touched by them, then they're touched by them. You know, because I think people can relate to pain at this time in in their lives and also in the world. The album seems to be split into three parts. How did you get that idea? I didn't wasn't aware that I consciously did that. No, I never. No one's ever said that to me before. If it does feel that way, it was done subconsciously. Well, do you have a favorite song from the album? You know, they're all, you know, do I have a favorite child? I mean, you know, there, there are moments on, I, I, that, I, that I'm moved by. But you know, like I said, once I finish a record, I don't really listen to it because I put all my heart and soul into it, meticulously go through all of it. And then when it goes out, I listen to the final product a few times and, or if I have to learn a song off of it or something like that. But then I let it go out to the universe and I leave it to other people to pick their favorite songs. Well, I really like that track, the, the final track, Tumescent. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> that was that was a fun track. That was like a that's an example where technology actually kind of works. We wrote that in the studio, just jamming pieces, bits and pieces together. We edited edited things together, and then we relearned the whole piece and played it. It was just I wanted to write a band instrumental. I like I enjoy writing instrumental music for the for ourselves and include the band and song songwriting so they get a little taste off the record. Makes it feel more like a, a unit. It's also fun fun stuff to play live. I like to pace the show. It's good for to have like a couple of tunes to jam on, let the voice rest. When you're doing five or six in a row, you kind of need that. We're talking with Steve Lukather. We don't have time to list all the artists you've worked with, but if it was ever oh, possible, <laughs> could you pick a favorite? Oh, man, that's, that's really difficult because you're talking about 1,500 records over 35 years with every major <laughs> star, that, every hero that I ever had just about. So, yeah, that's an incredibly difficult task. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, like I said before, you know, when you start with the Beatles, you end up working with one. That's pretty much a trip. Jeff Beck, Miles Davis. There's just, you know, I mean, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Clapton, Elton John, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, all sorts of cool stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, really. I mean, you have to look, view the discography on my website, and that's, got to, that's not even full. That's just a partial discography, so it, it's kind of a trip to uh, look at it from that point of view. Uh, I never really think about it, but it's been one hell of a journey. When someone listens to your music, whether they're hearing you in a performance or if they're listening to your albums, what do you want them to get out of the experience of listening? Feel something. There's so much popular music that's so derivative and sounds the same, same, same. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I like to throw some chord changes in there that are not obvious. You know, try stuff that makes people perk their head up and maybe a lyric or a melody that touches them, moves them in some sort of a way. That's the goal. Maybe some really good playing if they like that. You know, try to balance it all out. I made a promise that I would ask you about working with the tubes. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Well, we started in 1980. I, the first thing I wrote with them was Talk to You Later. It was me, Fee, and David Foster. And I've retained a lifelong friendship with Fee. Matter of fact, I just heard from him yesterday. And uh, I learned a lot working with Foster early on. You know, we were very, very close back in the 70s and the 80s and did a lot, a lot of great hundreds of records together. And really, I learned a lot from him. And uh, that was, you know, we had a really great run there. And I also worked, you know, we wrote uh, She's a Beauty together. I played on those two things. I even played bass on, on Talk to You Later. The bass player was pissed off that I was playing on the record. He refused to play on it, so I played on it. He and I are still really close buds. And as a matter of fact, he wrote a couple songs on my new record. I mean, he's always written with me through those years. We've always had a great writing and friendship relationship. 
out of all the guitars you've played, could you pick your favorite? Oh, well, that's hard to say. You know, I mean, obviously, I have a 59 Les Paul that's worth a grillion dollars. But that was a favorite for a long time. I even have pictures of George Harrison playing it with me. Amazing. Uh, still having a little Beatle history on a guitar, besides it being on so many hit records. I mean, from Beat It to, like, all the Toto stuff. You know, I could go on and on about the history of that guitar. I got a 51 Esquire, but I don't really play that one that much, but it's very valuable. Obviously, all my Music Man guitars. I just got a, I have a new... Uh, Luke Mach 3 coming out, which is going to be a little bit different, but those guitars have sold and done really well for me, and I just love the company. I love the quality of the instruments and the sound of them. So I would have to say those are my favorite at this particular juncture. What is the best thing about being Steve Lukather? <laughs> Can you ask me a question like that? You know what? Okay. Got a lot of love in my world from my children. I have, like, I've, I'm living the dream that I had when I was a little kid. And I'm healthy, and I feel great, and I'm very blessed and thankful to have this wonderful career of 35 years, which is hard to believe that it's that long, but I guess that's it, man. I get to go out, and I mean, they pay me to play the guitar and see the world. It's not a bad gig if you can get it, you know. <laughs> You've certainly had an amazing life. I have... <laughs> Never two... dull, my friend. There's a little pain involved in it, but, you know, at the same time, what's a guy to do, you know? I have two final questions for our guest, Steve Lukather. One is lighthearted and one is a little more serious. What is your all-time favorite meal? Ooh, wow, man! I've had see, that's another thing. That's my, my the last of my quote-unquote vices, you know. Food, great food, and I and I'm one of those guys that you know I travel. I like to eat whatever the local food is, whatever country I'm in, whatever the best is. I seek it out. Some of my friends are chefs. I'm a big fan of sushi, great, but I find the best places. I find these weird little places that off the beaten path. Obviously, what can I say, man? <laughs> I'm a foodie. Couldn't pick one. Oh, oh God. You know, I tell you, great. I, 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 about a year and a half ago, I went on this little uh, clinic tour with Kenny Aronoff in Italy, man. And we, they took us, there was a whole restaurant hang. I've had some of the most amazing meals. I, I was just like, you got to be kidding me every time. I mean, these people will come out and pick the, the, the vegetables out of their gardens, you know, go fishing for the fish and make the pastas and the breads and the desserts from scratch. Insane. Insane. So, I mean, I'm a big Italian food guy. I mean, but I like, I like, any, I like anything that's great. You know, I'm, I've got a pretty open mind these days. My last question for Steve Lukather. You have fans all over the world. For anyone who's listening to this interview, what would you like to say to them? Thank you very much. I mean, if, without the people supporting me and my and my various projects through the years, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be able to take care of my family and I'm, and live my dreams. So really, I owe everything to the audience and and the friends that come out to see us play and see me play. And thank God bless you all, man. I hope you come out and see me again. Uh, I hope to see you too, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Lugather. Thanks thank so you, much, mate. Luke. No problem, man. Thank you for your time. All right, take it easy. Bye bye now. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. 
Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.